Good morning. My name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus pastor, campus minister at Washington and Lee University in Lexington. I've been here once before, so glad to be back. And um, I know Essen from Presbytery and everything. Glad to be back with you this morning. I'm a little sick. It's like I'm on the, the tail end. I've already started my course of antibiotics. So feel free to not come and greet me closely after this sermon. That's fine. I won't judge you. If you want to, that's fine. Not going to worry me, but you may hear my voice crack a few more times than usual this morning, and that's okay. Uh, the one thing I really want you to know about me, though, is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and that changes everything. And this morning, we're going to learn together from Psalm 116, how do we love God when it hurts? How do we love God when it hurts? And I think this is a relevant thing to, a relevant passage to turn to, to learn from this morning. Whether you're in a place of deep hurt and pain, or you're in a place of joy and green pastures and happy days, either way, we need what this psalm has to tell us. So let me read that psalm for us now. Psalm 116. And I think we stand for God's word here, so please rise to the reading of God's word. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you may be seated. Where we're going this morning in Psalm 116. Three points. Surprise, surprise. Three points. Our hurt, our God, and our love. Our hurt, our God, and our love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which we desperately need. We thank you for being faithful to show up and work through your word to truly reveal yourself to us. For those of us who are here struggling, maybe definitely not believing your word, Lord, we ask that we would still hear that you would come and do something new in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. For all of us, we ask that you would change us. Conform us more into the image of Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. First point, our hurt. So Psalm 116 is one of the anonymous psalms. We don't know who wrote it. So we know, you know, we, uh, 
some psalms you can kind of turn to a certain episode in David's life and be like, oh, that's when he wrote that. We don't really have that with this psalm. But like all the psalms, it is meant to help us relate to God, not merely in the midst of our emotions, in the midst of our experiences, but actually with our emotions, with our experiences, to worship him, to love him truly with our hurt or whatever else we're experiencing. So our psalmist, whoever he was, is going through some hurt. Verse 6, I was brought low, it says. Verse 10 and 11, I'm greatly afflicted. He says, all mankind are liars. Perhaps he's been betrayed or slandered or someone has told a lie about him. Verse 3, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. So Sheol just means the physical grave. Sheol laid hold on me. What a mental image that is, like a cadaver reaching out from the grave and grabbing you as you walk by and trying to drag you down. How has death laid claim on you? Some of us, maybe recently, have you know, heard that diagnosis, come near to death in another way. Maybe uh, a loved one has died recently for you. Um, certainly all of us know someone who's experienced any of those things. Some of us have felt the numb, numbness of shock, where your emotions just cannot catch up to what you're experiencing, what you're feeling. Overwhelming sadness, dismay. Maybe the throbbing pain in the back of your throat where you desperately need to cry, but you just can't cry in that moment. We hurt. Even more of us are dealing with smaller hurts, jobs that you need but maybe don't love, relationships that are broken or distanced. You wish you could have a relationship with that person, but you just can't for some reason. Hurts in your past that have left wounds on your heart that aren't really seeming to be healed, no matter how much you go to church or how good your friends are. Mild to moderate anxiety. These hurts don't so much debilitate us as just drag at our heels, nip at our heels. We hurt. And some of us don't. At least not this morning. Some of us this morning are not in that place of hurting. We actually are, life is pretty good. You feel pretty joyful. You've got good friends and your kids are healthy or whatever it is for you. And you just feel good. And maybe you feel a little bit annoyed at another sermon that's about the Psalms and it's all about, you know, putting on a long face and, you know, diving into the sadness. And I get that frustration. This Psalm is not asking us to pull a long face, and just try to find that one place in your life that is sad so you can try to relate to God in that. It's not asking you to do that at all. It's actually a very joyful psalm. You know, we just read it. It's a very, there's a lot of joy and rejoicing in this psalm. But what I want us to see, one thing I want us to see, one thing I think Psalm 116 wants us to see, is the way that that joy, that deep abiding joy, comes about. It doesn't happen just through happy times, it comes through the hard times. I think that's compelling even for those of us who aren't hurting right now because it reveals the heart, the core of joy, of faith. And there, the heart of joy, the heart of faith, which has something to do with hard times, we find a, a confounding reality, a conundrum. If God exists, He's the God who doesn't just allow suffering, he sends it. 
God doesn't just allow pain as much as we'd like to soften the blow with that language. He actually ordains pain. How can I love God when it hurts? How can I love the God who hurts me? How can I love a God who ordains pain? These are good questions. We rarely ask them, at least out loud. Normally we hide from our hurt. We numb it, distract ourselves from it, self-medicate. The psalms that we write with our lives are often very different from Psalm 116. They sound more like an anti-psalm. I actually wrote an anti-psalm to put words to this. It's a secular psalm, a psalm of unbelief, kind of modeled after Psalm 116. It's autobiographical. I think that you will see yourself in it too. Here it is. I feel ambivalent toward the Lord because he seems not to hear my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he didn't give me immediate, tangible relief, therefore I'll seek help elsewhere, as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me, I suffered distress and anguished. Then I called on the name of Netflix, YouTube, and ESPN. O streaming services, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious and righteous is Dunkin' Donuts. My Starbucks is merciful. Workaholism preserves the attentive. When I was brought low, it saved me. Return, O my soul, to creating a tidy home and family, for they have dealt bountifully with you. Social media delivers my soul from thinking of mortality, my eyes from seeing what's right in front of me, my feet from stumbling on reality. I will walk in my best clothes and shoes in the presence of those who make me feel better about myself. I kept trusting in my own performance, even when I said I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars, what shall I render to the Lord to get him to love me? I will lift up the cup of good behavior and try to read my Bible more. I'll make impressive claims of spirituality in the presence of all his people. God must really not care about the death of his saints. Oh Lord, since you seem not to care, I'll bargain with you so that you might loose my bonds. I'll offer you the sacrifice of church attendance and promise to be better from here on out. I'll pay my vows to empty morality and performance mentality and the presence of all the people in the midst of my neighbors. It's over, but I don't want to say amen. Right? We'd never teach this psalm to our kids. We'd never memorize it, recite it to ourselves. But we all write psalms like this with our lives when we hurt. The details may change for you. It might not be Dunkin' Donuts or Netflix. It might be different details, but... The core reality is still there. We turn elsewhere. Because when we hurt, we deeply need love. Right? Like a kid on the playground with a skinned knee, we run to open arms, usually the closest open arms we can find, often the wrong ones. The thin comfort of looking like we have it all together. The sweet relief of sugar, substances, sex. The numbing universe of TV shows, video games, endless scrollable content. The compelling distraction of work. School, sports, social media debates, even a romantic relationship or a close friendship. Not all these are bad things. Where do you run when you hurt? What's that place for you? One of my favorite places used to be World's Fair Donut Shop on Vandeventer Avenue in St. Louis. I think it's the best donut shop in St. Louis. Uh, I live like one block away. 
So it was a little dangerous. On my drive home from work, if I had a hard day, you know, something was frustrating me, I could just turn right in, buy a dozen donuts. Sometimes those donuts made it to the evening, sometimes not. (laughs) And it didn't fix the problem, but it did help. It helped a little bit. Kind of took the edge off. Where do you run? What is that thing for you? I want you to hold that thing in your mind. How long will it take for us to realize that these things that we run to, they don't love us back? Not truly. They don't give us what we need. Not really. Even if it's a person who does love you, they can't give us the perfect, all-consuming love and unconditional love that our hearts crave, especially when we hurt. The things we run to, they can give you a quick dopamine rush, moments of relief or distraction. They may even prop you up with a socially acceptable, a socially celebrated you know, scaffolding, like workaholism. People love that. But eventually, it will fall. And when it falls, you will. But God is not like that. He's different, right? The God of the Bible is not like these things that we turn to. If God is who he claims to be in the Bible, in this psalm, he's not only the one who ordains our hurt, he doesn't simply offer us palliative care either, just treating the symptoms, just making it feel a little bit better. We often treat Jesus like that, like he's a first aid kit on the wall, you know, pull a cord in case of emergency. When things get bad, then we will turn to Jesus and try to get a little bit of extra oomph to make it through the day, make it through the month of hard times. God is not like that. He offers us something so much better and more. He heals us. He's our healer. But we have questions for this God who claims to be our healer. If God is as good as the Bible says he is, it seems like he would never let this terrible thing happen that happened to me. So either he must not be that good or he must not be that in control. Sometimes we don't really think about it on that level. We just realize, we conclude, a God who it hurts so bad to love, he must not really love me. Is this true? Who is this God who ordains our hurt and heals our hurt? What does he have to say for himself? And will we listen? Let's listen. Part two, our God, verse one and two. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Verse 5 through 8. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return my soul to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Some of you this morning may be thinking, that's not my experience. He doesn't seem to hear my voice, my pleas for mercy. I've been brought low, but he hasn't saved me. He hasn't dealt bountifully with me. My eyes are full of tears still. My feet still stumble. Let's just say it out loud. Life doesn't just hurt in general. It specifically hurts to love God. Loving God is painful. The Christian life is a painful life. Not just because Jesus calls us to painful obedience, but also because with all pain we experience, we serve a God who we know is powerful enough to end our pain, to make us not go through it in the first place. But often, he doesn't. 
It hurts to love God. What do we do with that? This psalm teaches us two things that are true of God, even when it hurts. Even when life with him hurts. He hears and he cares. First, God hears, verse 1 and 2. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. He inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. So while the psalmist was in the midst of his hurt, pleading for mercy, God heard, it says, he inclined his ear to me. We know God doesn't have like a physical ear, but it's as though, it's not just as though, this passage is saying, the God of the universe who made all things, who attends to all things, is aware of all things, when he hears the voice of his child calling to him in pain, he changes his posture. He orients himself to you when you call to him in pain. All of us have experienced this. If you have kids or really anyone you care about, if, let's say you're a parent and you're sitting in the house or um, your kids are off playing a, a little ways away, but you can kind of hear what's going on, the playing in the yard. It sounds like they're having a good time. You're, maybe you're not really fully paying attention. You're on your phone or tapping on your laptop. And then you hear one voice call out in pain or you know, distress, and immediately you stop what you're doing in your best moments at least, you run to them. Why? Because that voice is your kid. You know that cry. Your ear is tuned to that cry in a way that is not tuned to others. And this passage is saying, God has such a regard for you. His ear is tuned to the call of your distress. He is attending to you all the time, and his attention to you in the midst of your distress is especially focused. He hears. Someone here's got to be thinking, though, it's easy to say, preacher, but he's invisible. I don't feel his attention in my hurt. How am I supposed to? What it feels like is more like abandonment. Why should I believe that God hears when I hurt when the evidence, the evidence of my life appears to suggest the opposite? I want to say with humility, everybody's experience is different. I'm not saying I've been where you've been, but I have been in that place where I'm asking that question, where life has gone dark and months of my life where I, I believed in God, I knew he existed, I just couldn't feel any tangible sense of his care for me or his presence with me. So I get this question. And I want you to think about this. We all have a choice who do we invite into our suffering? You know, if we're not going to just be alone, which is an option, we have a choice. Who do we invite into our suffering to see us when the mascara is running, to hear us when we have tears in our voice, when we're not strong? Don't we, love, don't we long for someone to love us, to be with us in the midst of our pain and hurt? We long for that want that. So often people, they can't really handle our pain. They can't really listen without trying to fix it. They can't offer us what we so desperately need and long for. But doesn't our frustration with God suggest that we were made for a God who would be there for us when we hurt? Aren't we longing for God even if we don't believe in him? Doesn't our hurt speak loudly to us saying, you desperately need a Savior. You desperately need a God who loves you and is with you. If we were made for this, it means we were made by God. And if we were made by Him, shouldn't we expect Him to listen to us, to hear us, especially in our pain? 
So that's not a tidy bow to tie that all up and say like, yeah, see, it makes perfect sense. But I'm just offering you, inviting you. Shouldn't you move towards God? If he exists, he's a God worth moving towards, even in your pain, even when he seems really far off. He's the one that you need. God is there. And second, God cares. I think the most enigmatic line of this psalm is verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Throughout the psalm, it's obvious the psalmist, whoever he is, has death on his mind. Maybe he's come close to death. Maybe people want him dead. But he's constantly bringing it up and thinking about it. Some of you have come close. Some of you feel close. That's a weighty reality for you right now. Does God care? Does it matter to him? When the one you love dies. When you, you watch your friend who you love and the one they love has died. When death is imminent for you or a loved one, does God care? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That word precious could also be translated costly. The death of one of God's children is no small thing in his sight. It costs him. You're worth something to God. He notices you. It costs him. And if your death costs him something, if your death is worth something to God. How much more your life and your hurt? Your death and your life, they have weight with God. He cares. He loves you. He loves you as none of the other things that we turn to when we hurt can love us. How do we know? How do we know he loves us? If you're hurting right now, it can feel like he doesn't. So how do we know? The God of, one, the God of one, Psalm 116 is also the God who came to earth to take our pain on himself. He willingly subjected himself to pain and death for our sakes because he loves us. He saw us in the midst of our hurt. He said, I'm going to take that on for them. He was wounded, beaten, spit upon, mocked, exposed, crucified. He suffered emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain, a lot of which we will never really know. We, we, we'll never understand the, the hurt, the pain of the full wrath of God on us if we're in Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If your heart has ever felt those words, know that Jesus felt them first. In this broken world of broken hearts, why does it hurt so much to love God is perhaps not the best question. I think the better question is, why did God hurt so much for us? Was it to guarantee us a painless life? Was it to give you a get-out-of-pain-free ticket? Some kind of special Christian way to live such that when you do hurt, it would just kind of like make it hurt that much less or maybe make it go away quicker? What Jesus said was, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We want a purpose. What is the point of this pain, God? What am I supposed to learn so that I can go ahead and learn it and get out of it quickly? But instead of a purpose, Jesus gives us a path, the way of suffering. He gives us a process. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he gives us a person, himself. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, and he gives us a promise that he will one day end 
our hurt. He will stop our pain. He will deliver our bodies from disease and decay. He will heal our wounded hearts of the wounds that no matter what you do, they're not going to get healed unless Jesus heals it. He will do that one day. He will mend our minds. He will destroy death. He will welcome us to his wedding feast. And at his right hand, we'll enjoy pleasures forevermore. And so we cry out for that relief. Even as the psalmist did, we beg him to take away our addictions and our afflictions and our diseases. We rejoice when diseases are healed, when trials end, when tears turn to laughter. And of course, we try to see how God might use our pain, even now in the midst of our pain, to grow us and turn us into who he wants us to be. But as long as salvation tarries, as long as Jesus tarries, as long as we hurt and don't see the point, which we will not always see the point, we remember that we see Jesus most clearly through our tears. We remember that he will come again. He will come again. He will come again to take away our hurts. And we remember that we can love him in the meantime, most fully in the midst of our hurt. How? How do we do that? We're aware of our hurt. We've been reminded of our God. Let's consider our love. How do we love God when it hurts? There's two ways we see in this psalm how we love God in our hurt. Love speaks to God with pain, and love looks to God for salvation. First, love speaks to God with pain. I believed even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. That may not be kind of the statement of faith that we're used to. It says, I believe even when I spoke. You may see a note in your Bible, the ESV has it. You could also translate this, I believed, therefore I spoke. Like the faith, the belief is the foundation, the reason he can say with honesty, I'm greatly afflicted and all mankind are liars. Do you speak to God with your pain? Not merely these tidy, theologically correct prayers, that things that we know are true and wish that we felt, but messy, honest, just raw cries of the heart that feel comfortable enough with God or at least in love with him enough to be like, this is just where I'm at. God, I'm hopeless. I'm hurting. Everyone's against me. Life's gone dark. Where are you? The film The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick. Some call it the best film ever made. You should watch it. It's interspersed with whispered prayers. Throughout the whole film, there's just kind of this refrain, these whispered prayers, whispered by the main characters, either out loud or in their minds, kind of going along with the events of the film. The events of the film are heartbreaking. Uh, the mother in the film loses one of her sons in World War II. You watch her just wrangle with that grief throughout the movie. Her whispered prayers are raw and honest. She is a Christian. She prays, God, where were you? You could have saved him. A preacher tells her, he's in God's hands now. She replies, wasn't he in God's hands the whole time? God is not wounded or offended by these prayers. Not all sharp and jagged prayers are blasphemy, and God is not cut by them. When we experience a gap between the God that we know and the experience we have, he wants us to give voice to the confusion and pain of that experience. We can love God with our pain. That shows love to move towards him in the midst of our pain. But we don't stop there. That's not where Jesus gets us. It's not just there. There's more. 
We also, in love and our hurt, we love God by looking to God for salvation. Throughout this psalm, he's been begging God for help, right? Relief, deliverance from his troubles, and God has saved him. The psalmist has been given what some of us have experienced and some of us are still looking for. What I want us to just see and remember is that the, the, the faithful love, the kind of love for God that motivates missionary activity and loving your kids well and loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, that doesn't come from easy times. It comes from hard times when you look to him before deliverance comes. Have you ever been boating and gotten stranded? Uh, maybe you're in a motorboat and your, your motor cut out wouldn't start. I've been there, middle of a lake. Not a fun experience, not a fun place to be. If there's a storm, it's really scary. The waves come up and you're thinking, okay, what if I capsize you? That's a place that we can feel like in the midst of our pain. Here I am, all alone. No one's apparently anywhere close. The waves are coming. And isn't it interesting that Jesus showed up for his disciples in that exact situation? And when they were terrified in their boat and the waves were threatening to overwhelm them, he came not hovering above the waves, not descending from heaven, but walking on the waves in the midst of them to them, giving us a picture of the God who moves towards us and is with us in the midst of our pain. Your Savior's coming. He's coming soon. And on that day, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So for now, Christians, we may hurt more than anybody else in the world. Jesus probably did more than anybody else in the world, which makes him a God unlike any other God. And so we can love him in the midst of our hurts. Even when it hurts, we can love him until the pain ends. And this is our boldest and our truest illustration of the gospel before the watching world. Let's pray. Father God, we do need you in the midst of our pain. Some of us here just hoping, praying for some sign that you're out there, that you care. You have shown yourself to us in your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts of the truth of your self-revelation, that you would give us experiences of that truth, even now in our hurt, and give us hope to look forward to your coming and the healing we long for. In Jesus' name. Amen.